Yeah, I mean, like you're looking at a global superpower like the U.S. Um, and to me, the concept of specialty coffee is synonymous with America. Um, and I honestly Bro, hold like. Hold on. Yeah, <laughs> I'm from I know. Australia. We started it here, <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Okay. We Easy. Can, yeah. Let's let me continue, and I definitely want to hear like more on like what you have to say about Go this. Go ahead. This is, this is fucking great. <laughs> Welcome to the Daily Coffee Pro by Map It Forward, friends. I'm your host, Lee Safar, and this is episode of a five-part series, a very interesting conversation about tasting coffee and the power dynamics and a lot of the nuance that's involved in this idea of tasting coffee in inverted commas. When, Costa, did this start to take on and occupy real estate in your brain, this idea of tasting coffee as a like a multi-dimensional thing that you should be thinking about yeah it, it really happened on that trip to guatemala mm -hmm. like i was um i was there to go ahead and experience what what origin was like and i did i and i saw like a side of it that i was not anticipating i think it honestly is because like i wasn't a buyer i didn't have like a financial agenda to it you know mm -hmm. and like what i was trying to do was understand the way that coffee producers were working to access um, a market like the US and, um, you know, as we were cupping those coffees, you know, I was assigning scores to them and then they ended up asking for market indication. And that was something I did not expect. And then they ended up like freaking out. Um, they became really angry towards me. And like, I essentially ended up having like a complete existential crisis where like, I couldn't understand how this market was designed and why producers couldn't get like pricing information. I didn't understand why they weren't cupping their own coffees. Um, and I remember driving away from that cupping and the world just felt so much larger than what had been presented to me mm. in the States or in coffee competitions. And I literally had like one of the worst panic attacks of my life because like the belief that I had, you know, was that like, especially coffee ends up like connecting people together. And what I ended up walking away from was like, we are more fractured and fragmented than I realized in that producers don't have like information, access to buyers. And it just, it, I mean, everything cracked for me in that moment. And it had like a very real psychological effect on me where you know, I think like just question, having questions around taste and how central that was to me beforehand, you know, to question it in the first place felt extremely dangerous. And I didn't realize it until I ended up experiencing it there in Guatemala. Mm. So it sounds like you got a healthy dose of empathy for other people's perspective yeah. on this. Deeply, deeply, mm. deeply. I had all of these ideas, you know, on what a producer is, who they are. Um, you know, how they function, why they are attracted to, you know, the specialty market in the first place. Um, you know, this idea of this hardworking, you know, meritocracy, uh, you know, this producer who, you know, creates and crafts something beautifully and, you know, sells it to a market that rewards it appropriately. And Bro, there it's are a business. Yeah, I learned. <laughs> and like... <laughs> What I ended up walking away from that trip was like a realization, you know, of, of, you know, like, like deep, deep, deep power inequalities between, you know, those in the global North and those in the global South. And it just let, led me on this journey to understand a concept like taste, 
you know, how does this reinforce power inequalities in the first place? And how does it reinforce power inequalities? Yeah, I mean, like you're looking at a global superpower like the US. Um, and to me, the concept of specialty coffee is synonymous with America. Um, and I honestly Bro, hold like, on. Yeah, <laughs> I'm from I know. Australia. We started it here, <laughs> sort of. Yeah, okay. We Easy. Can, yeah, let's, let me continue. And I definitely want to hear like more on like what you have to say about Go this. Go ahead. This is, this is fucking great. <laughs> This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mapper Forward's first on-demand workshop, How to Become a Coffee Consultant, available now online for you to learn at your own pace with a certificate available upon completion. Click the link in the show notes to access today for just 50 euros. Yeah. So I'm thinking of things, you know, like, um, you know, where the cupping form Okay. Having form was formed. Okay. (laughs) Something. I think every Australian that's listening to this just went. Yeah, just straight up. Now Uh they're gonna come at me. I'm I'm ready to get cancelled by all of Australia. (laughs) No, we're nice people, sort of. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you have like a superpower, you know, that is that is held, you know, financial, you know, power over like Central and South America, for example. And then you have those same people, you know, maybe not politicians or, or military, you know, mm-hmm. but business people coming in and determining the way that things happen. Right. You know, and I've just never seen an instance in which a coffee producer, you know, is able to go ahead and taste their own coffee, you know, assign it the words that they want to go ahead and assign it and for a buyer to go ahead and accept that as reality. Um, it's basically always the other way around the buyer comes in the buyer teaches the producer how to cup the buyer teaches the producer the words to use which tend to focus around like global north foods and beverages Mm -hmm. um and the buyer teaches the producer like what cup scores they're looking at um and it tends to be yeah. yeah yeah and it tends to be highly individualistic um Kenneth Lieberman is a sociologist and he recently published a book called Tasting Inequalities. And there's a little section devoted to the way uh, the interaction or the choreography between importers and exporters happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the idea is basically, and I, I experience this quite often, and I know producers experience this as well, where you know buyers will have a specific idea or they'll have ideas of, of certain flavors, uh, cherry, earthy, almond, bergamot. But the job of a green seller, uh, whether an exporter, producer, or you know, even someone like myself, is I have to calibrate to each and every individual on what their idea of cherry means, or what their idea of almond means, or what mm-hmm. their idea of, ber- of bergamot means. And if I don't hit that, you know, then like, you know, a buyer can walk away at any time, you know, whether before the contract, during, or after. Um, You know, and so I think that's Mm. what I'm trying to describe when it comes to, you know, power dynamics and inequalities. You know, I never see the inverse end up happening. What role do you think that these experimental processing methods, what people typically call infused coffees, what do do you think that that did to fuck with the power dynamic there? Oh, this is so interesting. This is so interesting. Um, you know, so I'll tell you from like what my experience was Mm. like and the way that I experienced like infused coffees or co-fermentated coffees Mm -hmm. is that, 
this was a project that was started um, in the global south by coffee producers themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shout I genuinely don't. Know. <laughs> and so, like, what's what's interesting about this to me is like the reaction from buyers in the U.S. Um, a, you know, some buyers like it, but the majority of buyers that I've interacted with have not been fans of it. And it's also been met with confusion. Why are producers, you know, growing and processing these coffees like this? And I think there's, there's a very inherent uh, presupposition that says, why aren't producers producing the coffees that I want? Why are they producing the coffees that right. they want at the you, end of the day? You know why Who- producers are producing these coffee? Hmm. because they've realized that it doesn't fucking matter what you want. You're going to make your decisions based on what the consumer wants and the consumer wants these coffees. And that is how producers are reclaiming their power. Yeah. It's such a, it's such an interesting story on who gets to define quality at the end of the day. Uh, I don't even know if it's quality that's being defined here. I think what's being defined here is that producers have realized that whether you want to buy, you as a green buyer want to buy these coffees or not, you as a coffee roaster want to buy these coffees or not, we are entering an economic climate now where you have to listen to the consumer. And the consumer is voting with their dollar. And the consumer loves how easy it is to taste raspberry. Mm. And they love how easy it is to taste peaches and lulo and lychee they love these coffees and now all of a sudden you as a roaster or a green coffee buyer have had your power diminished not you as as costa but yes the person in that role if they want to survive in a hyper saturated market they have to get market share in order to get market share the producer created this product that has made it so easy for the consumer to get access to specialty coffee that they're just ignoring pretty much everything else that you're giving them. And I think it is fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> your, your I agree. Face there. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's just like I have it's like my my mind is ping-ponging right now because I'm also thinking for example of like smallholders. Uh-huh. You know, and and smallholders who end up growing coffee the way that they've had for like decades or centuries and those coffees tend to score 80 to 83 points. Mm-hmm. And you know, like a good majority of those producers just completely ignore the suggestions or requests of green buyers on how they could end up like improving their coffees and just selling it to mass markets. Um, and certainly, you know, like one of the, one of the major moves that I've seen here in the U S is like towards these 80 to 83 point coffees as well. And how that ends up aligning a little bit closer to the expectations of smallholders, especially those in like central and South America who just like, want to grow coffee and sell it and like live their lives. You know, they're not necessarily trying to live like a deep type of artisanal experience of, you know, how many grams are going into like their coffee and, you know, trying to pull out like these deep, unique flavors at the same time. Right. And, Uh, And what you're seeing happen there is that the producers who are willing to put in the effort and want to put in the effort to these experimental processing methods, they're going and buying the cherry from those producers. 
because the quality that the outcome isn't necessarily determined in the harvesting process or in in what the in what the the quality of the coffee is being determined post harvest that's what they're adding on top of it it's what's determining the value of the coffee and that's how producers are reclaiming their power they're making yeah. it so fucking obvious that this is exactly what this coffee tastes like take it or leave it yeah yeah i think it's fantastic yeah in the next episode, folks, we're going to be talking about how we can reimagine tasting coffee. And I think what we're going to do as well in that episode is continue this discussion, but I would like for us to um, take a look at the power dynamic um, on the consuming end because there is a very clear power dynamic on the consuming end that's happening from a, a depending on where the coffee is being sold. So, um, and I know that this is important to you, Costa, so I want to make sure that we discuss it in the next episode. So join us for the final episode of this series, folks. Peace, love, and peanut butter. Have an amazing rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in, friends. There are two ways you can support this podcast. Firstly, become a paid member of our YouTube channel. Secondly, you can join our Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Both have options for exclusive ad-free content and early release content. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. The Daily Coffee Pro is produced by Map It Forward and the music you're listening to is called Run 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 off of my album Laundry After Midnight. To get older episodes of this podcast, as well as more information on Mapper Forward, head to mapperforward.coffee. You can find links and more information in the show notes below.